0: So we will remain in this deep, uh, at times dark, waters of Romans 1. Um, and th- this morning will be much like the, the past, I hope, which, which is just be a good old Bible study. I think that nothing interprets scripture or teaches scripture better than scripture itself and that's what's amazing about this passage. Um, As you begin to really work your way through this text and the text that it invokes from from other places throughout the Bible. But I want to just again read this text um, for us to, so that it is fresh in our mind. I'd encourage you to think about the pronouns. Who are the them and the they? We've talked a lot about that, but it's important to ask that question in the context of what Paul is doing with this letter and whom he's writing it to, but then who is he writing it about? That, that's key here. I'd also encourage you to just look at the kind of cause and effect and consequence that you see through this passage as you've heard it over and over again. I want to read from Romans 1, 24 through 32, but I I need to read verse 21 first. Because in this you find the offense that took mankind in his fallen state. And begins to move him down this downward slide that is not only individual, but societal. And it's stunning, quite frankly, how, how basic it is. And yet how massive the consequences are. That's what I can't get over with this text. Verse 21 Says, I'm sorry, verse 21. Yes. Here comes the indictment, preceded by so there without excuse, you see. For although they knew God, they did not, and there it is, honor Him as God. Or, comes number two, give thanks. And at the bottom of this passage that we're about to read, you will see a word translated heartless. Literally heartless. We are literally called to be Honoring God and thanking God for every waking moment that we enjoy in life. And if we refuse to honor God and thank God, God simply gives us over to what? A heartless, thankless heart. And you're going to see that all the way through this text this morning in particular as we look at some of the words that Paul used and peel into them a little bit with the help of of uh, Kenneth West, Let me just read for us this passage from Romans 1, 24 through 32. And if I get off on a text that I haven't told you where I'm going, please, you know, because my wife was kind enough to let me know about that. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and here it comes, worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And I thought about that passage as we've taught it, but how many different ways are we either or tempted mightily into trusting the creation and the created and man when we ought to be turning to God and trusting in Him and His sovereign purpose for whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. And I know just in this small little group, they are quite varied. Some are quite heavy, right? Verse 26, for this reason, there comes number two, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations. Remember, the the natural heart and mind of the woman is to nurture (laughs) children. They gave up those natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another sorry relations for those that are contrary to one another can't seem to stay on my line here that are contrary to one another contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves something new here right we studied this the due penalty of their error. And here comes verse 28, which is our text for this morning. And we won't move far from verse 28 this morning. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind To do what not not to be done. Now, I want you to pay attention to three ways in which Paul builds on this. First, he says in verse 29, they were filled. Someone's being active. Someone is actively filling here. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, evil covetousness, and malice. They were filled. Now look what it says. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. So they go from being filled to being full. And now look what it says. They are <laughs> This is their state, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, deserve to die, marked by the pattern of their life, right, practice. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And there's your societal just avalanche, isn't it? That's where you're forbidden in society to speak against things that are abhorrent to God. Thankfully, not thankfully, as we saw last week, there is nothing new under that stone. But it is as rampant today as it's ever been. I was telling Tina this morning in the northeast states, you literally have two different parties bringing two different bills before. One says it's child abuse to prevent your child from pursuing transgender change if you even dare to prevent that that's the bill the other bill is it's child abuse if you facilitate the child into that without telling their parents can you can you see how debased the minds are and where was the last reach of the perversions of the world children and It is a full-scale attack on our children. I know it makes my heart heavy that this is what we get a parent and grandparent through, but we had better be diligent about it. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There's three things that we've, we've seen in this study so far the holiness of god and i I grow more and more in my appreciation for the puritans the sarcastic word that they were given the puritans right that's that's the word it wasn't a endearing term it was a term used for the entire group of faithful pastors who were beautifully aware of the holiness of God and taught it beautifully. And consequently, as you become more and more looking into the face of the holiness of God, you become more and more aware of what? This passage should reveal to us just how sinful we are in the daily course of life. And that kind of hit me this week, right? How different Do we really look in the recesses of our hearts and minds than the world we live in? I think we can all say, not nearly as different as we are called to be. And I just hope it takes you to the same place it took me, with my face in my hands thanking God for the grace that saved me because it was in Christ alone. It wasn't anything that I brought other than this life of sin and in many ways this continued struggle with sin and God sovereignly left that sin there, didn't he? That we might constantly see the holiness of God our sinful ways and be all the more thankful for this blessed gospel. and to be motivated to take it to those who just reject it and are hostile in a loving and compassionate way because hell known better by our Lord than anybody was a place that he pleaded with them not to be bound for it, right? And that's what this passage stirs up. Now, I'm going to fling you back to Malachi. If you'll go there with me, Matthew Malachi 3.6, and I'm going to read a pretty good length of this. This is God's testimony to Israel, and as Paul says in First 1 Corinthians 10.11, these things were written down as an example for who? Us, the church. But I want to just, I want to show you, I had to show you this passage to show you the, the irony of the church today and in many ways the irony of the debased mind uh, as you look at this passage from Malachi where you see this extraordinary exchange between God and Israel. And it begins in verse 6 with Malachi 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, there's a twist, isn't it? (laughs) I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Meaning, you should be consumed, every one of you, right now. But you are not because I do not change. And what is God saying it, it kind of brings us to the point I was just making. It wasn't because Israel was any less sinful than anybody else, but it is because God had set his heart on redeeming them. That's the only reason. They're not consumed. So he says, I do not change. From the day, now here comes the indictment, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside and my statutes, from my statutes and have not kept them. And here comes James 4, 7 through 10. To a T, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return Will man rob God? You are robbing me. Now listen to how we're, Israel, is robbing God here. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Or said in the theme we've been talking, in your worship, you are robbing me. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Pretty wide indictment, isn't it? Now this is fascinating. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, And here God is calling them to test him. Test him for what? And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And here comes the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's saying, bring it. Test my mercy. Obey my command to come to me. And I will come to you. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. And just as in James, the blessings flow through repentance there. Test me. See if I'm faithful to what I say I will do. That's what he's saying. But here his emphasis is mercy. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Boy, wouldn't that be nice with the garden. (laughs) And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all, here comes the, the external praise, then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be, interesting, isn't it? A land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Test me. As harsh as you've been, as unfaithful as you've been, as sinful as you've been, as idolatrous as you've been, test me and see that if I am a God who keeps his promises. That is very encouraging, isn't it, in the midst of this very dark passage? But you say, how have we spoken against you? And let me just speak with my brothers and sisters, this is where we tend to say, why me, God? What did I do to what? Deserve this. You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in the mourning before the Lord of Hosts. What, what, what is that all about? We're so tired of this constant sinfulness judgment. And now we call the arrogant blessed, and that oozes of what? Self-righteousness. And there's the problem. We don't see the holiness of God because we don't see our sinfulness. And we don't really see our sinfulness until we see the holiness of God. And it is only God who reveals that holiness to us. It's worthy to pray for all of that, by the way. (laughs) And now, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. You hear the sarcasm? Right? We test you, but we're under your thumb. They test you and get away with it. It's mercy. It's mercy he's revealing in this passage. But I want you to pay attention to who's testing who here because that will have a lot to say about our text that we're going to go back to in Romans one twenty-eight. But first, we have to see the beautiful, tiny, little remnant. Then, so here's a whole other group of Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, isn't that beautiful to think that as we gather and talk about the Lord, all his glory, that he's hearing us? The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day, so he's pointing us forward, right? It's a little bit like the Isaiah 53 passage, if you ever, I'm sure you've read that carefully, where the Spirit of God through Isaiah points the reader to the future when there is an Israel who looks back on what they did at the cross, but he's writing it before the cross, and because they will see what they've done, they will say, we have pierced past tense. That will occur just at the advent of the millennial reign. Here, he points us to that very same point. Verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them, pardon them. Right? Why, did, why do we get pardoned? What do we have to be first to be pardoned? Guilty. That's what this passage is teaching in Romans. This is the amplification of no, not one. And I, you all know how absolutely unacceptable this doctrine is to most professing Christians. It is utterly unacceptable. This is, this is a whole different group of people. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. They can't even see the difference now. That's the point about where are we today? Where is the church today? Can't even see the difference in so many, if they're even true, regenerate churches. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, invoking what? John 15. My father is the vine dresser. He is going to prune. He is going to snip. But for you who fear my name, here comes the comfort. The sun of righteousness shall rise with the healing in its wings. This is just pure, blissful truth. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, which is just a beautiful sight to watch any little animal spring around like that, right? And you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And I guess at that point, we have now understood true righteous anger. I don't know. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him, the Ten Commandments, and the commandment to teach your children's children these things. Why? To protect the children from the very thing they're confronted with in their grade schools. At Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, and here's the beautiful prophecy of John the Baptist that John David talked about two weeks ago before the great and awesome day of the Lord and here comes the reversal to the heartless people that Paul talks about in Romans 1 31 and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, we're just going to take a little bit of time this morning and ease into a couple of the words that I think just shape this entire section of Scripture. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see, pay attention to this word, fit. Looks like a pretty simple word, right? Three letters. To acknowledge another word I want you to pay attention to, God. God gave them up to a two words, debased mind we're going to look at those four words very carefully for for a little bit and i love these guys that do all this faithful work by going back into all the old dead guys and just mining out this gold to confirm the consistency of scripture over all of time because scripture is always true right Let's look at this word, fit. Docamazo. Kenneth Wiest, wonderful work, expanded translation, word studies to drive that expanded translations. If you can get a hold of them, get them, get them in print. And I think you'll see why when you see how he, with the help of all those, that cloud of old dead guys, helps us see what is packed into this little word, Fit. This is the expanded meaning of Dakamatsu fit. To put to the test for the purpose of approving and finding that the person tested meets the specification prescribed. Now at this point you think this is God testing man. I want you to hear this. This is man testing God, here is the problem. To put one's approval upon him. Let me read it again in continuity. To put to the test for the purpose of approving and finding that the person tested meets the specification prescribed to put one's approval upon him. So you see what it's saying there? We're going to test you, God, by our standards for what we want to be God and determine if you pass the test, God. The commentary goes on to say, the human race put God to the test for the purpose of approving him should he meet the specifications which it laid down for a God who would be to its liking and finding that he did not Meet those specifications. God failed the test of man. It refused to approve him as God to be worshiped or to even have him in his knowledge. Do you want to know why the world and the country we live in just wants God to go away and the scriptures to go away and the Christians to go away that are faithful in their profession and the testimony of the gospel? This is precisely why. Because they have created a God of their own making. And where does that come from? Straight out of Genesis 2.15. The entire history of humanity. That's the context of this passage. And the fearful thought is every one of us were in this same mode. And it shows up even in our saved hearts like, why me, God? What did I do to deserve this? Shouldn't we do this instead of that? (laughs) Right. Next word, acknowledge. epignosis very simply put full and precise knowledge where do we get a full and precise knowledge of god from the scriptures why is it so constant that the visible professing church is constantly drifting away from the scriptures because they have an entirely different set of specifications for their God and the scriptures just wreak havoc with it. That's why Tina and I drive an hour and ten minutes to get here. I I There is so much loose and fast with God's word, it makes you wanna just run to the scriptures and be discerning as we'll see. Full and precise knowledge. Robertson, 1800-ish, says this. They had a dim memory that was a caricature of God. Caricature is a mocking or wicked interpretation of who that God is in this case. And when you read this and you study this, you just see that society is just rampant with this, which tells us what? We are deep, deep, deep in this abandoning wrath of God. You cannot deny it. If you step outside your door or you have a television that comes into your house, right? So we look at the second half of verse 28, And we see that God gave, because of all that, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. It goes against every bit of our conscience, every bit of what we know, every bit that's natural. Right? That's what we see here with this debased mind. But there's more about this debased mind. (laughs) Adakimos. And this is what it means. Not standing the test not approved this is God saying you test me I failed your test I'm going to turn you over to a mind that cannot even be tested The commentary from Wee says the human race put God on trial, dakkamazo, and because it rejected Him after trial, God gives humanity to a trialless mind, one incapable of discharging the functions of a mind with respect to the things of salvation. That's why salvation is not the least bit of concern for so many people. Another kind of 17th, 18th century guy that Weese quotes. As they did not think it fit, after trial made to keep God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a mind which cannot stand trial. The one thing answers the other. Virtually, they pronounce the true God, Adakimos, disapproved and would have none of him. And he, in turn, gave them up to a disapproved mind. A mind which is no mind and cannot discharge the functions of one As it was created, a mind in which the divine distinctions of right and wrong are confused and lost. That's why we see the, that's why we can look at these things and say, you've got to be kidding me. How can they think like that? Well, now you know where to go. That's how they can think like that. Their minds have been judicially abandoned by God and turned over to a mind that can't even function right. And he adds about the mind. It's not just the brain he's talking about. It's the conscience. So what do we have at the end of this passage? A person whose conscience has been completely seared, but still functioning in this world, and in many ways functioning at capacities that we ought to be very prayerful about, (laughs) right? So let let me just kind of close this morning um, by just reading for you and leaving you with one key thought and then we'll pick up next week. Let me read the expanded translation in full that Kenneth Weiss produced when he kind of put all the colour to this verse twenty eight. This is an extract from this expanded translation that I was telling you about. And even as after putting God to the test for the purpose of approving him, should he meet the specifications and finding that he did not, they disapproved of holding him in their full and precise knowledge. God gave them up to a mind that would not meet the test For that which a mind was meant to practice those things which were not becoming nor fitting. And you have to ask yourself, what was the mind meant for? Of every human being that's ever breathed life. And it's to worship the one true God with all our heart and with all our soul from the Lord himself. In spirit and in truth, those whom the Father is seeking, where this full and precise knowledge would be built over time by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the scriptures and us teaching, coming alongside, sharpening, right? And it just made me think about one of the passages that the Lord used in my call so powerfully as he stood and likely at the very quiet moment of the Feast of the Tabernacles. The ceremony where they bring the water very quietly and very, you know, drama. And you know what it's like when you have a massive crowd of people that are just dead quiet, right? It's kind of an intense feeling. Well, that's what's going on, very likely, at this point when we read this about John's encounter during the Feast of the Tabernacles in John 7, 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, and I mean anyone Let him come to me and drink, Christ alone. Whoever believes in me, pre-existing condition, right? As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And over time of our Christian life, as we pursue God and we pursue the work of the Holy Spirit, and we pursue the scriptures believed we build on this ever fuller, ever more precise knowledge of God. Not this wide and loose and fast God, right? Tina you I sat in front of a pastor who would literally say, just figure out what the Bible means to you. I mean, talk about inviting people into this very passage. Warning them. Just whatever it means to you. Right. Let me just read a bit of a montage and then we'll be done. Jesus said in John 17:9, "I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And there's that great exchange from Colossians 1.13, from the domain of darkness, right, to the kingdom of heaven. And that world that Jesus won't even pray for, all of a sudden shows up in Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name as we will this morning, right? Isaiah 66, 23 says, From new moon to new moon, very timely right now, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Philippians 2.10, and we'll close there. So that at the name of Jesus... For my name's sake, says Jesus. That's what this is all about. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. (laughs) And this is the wonderful closing thought. The only reason we will enjoy eternity with our triune God is because the triune God, the Father, chose to glorify the Son by taking Him to the cross to redeem an utterly undeserved people and making them their family for eternity. And that is the beneficiaries that we are to utterly undeserved if you truly believe the Scriptures. It's just stunning, right? So we'll close there, and then we will make a transition towards the rest of this passage In the subsequent Sundays. So thank you, guys.